Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 637 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I'm honored to be joined again on my show by my guest, Andy Molinsky. Andy is the author of Reach, a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone, rise to the challenge, and build confidence. Andy's also a professor at Brandeis University and a contributor to the Harvard Business Review. Now, in this episode, we're going to be talking about, as the title of Andy's book suggests, comfort zones. Now, most of us have personal and professional growth objectives, whether it's you know, career or in life, but to achieve these goals, we have to learn how to step outside of our comfort zones, which is hard. And which means that we avoid, oftentimes, have employ avoidance strategies to avoid the challenges that could open up these new vistas for you. So in this conversation, Andy shares his three primary strategies for effectively reinventing yourself by challenging yourself to step outside your comfort zone. I mean, if you're in sales, you, I certainly remember my early days in sales when I first got started. I definitely had to step outside my comfort zones to learn how to go out into the field, carrying a bag, knock on doors, and, and make cold calls. That was, that was a, big, uh, a big step outside my comfort zone. Wish I'd known some of the things that Andy talks about in his books at that time. So look forward to this conversation. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 637. As always, we provide a breakdown of this and all conversations on Accelerate. Make sure you check that out. Before we jump into my conversation with Andy, let me say that I often hear from listeners that are looking for a new sales challenge, and I tell them one of the most important elements to career success is aligning yourself with the right company. You know, one that develops its employees, values its customers, and has a portfolio of category-leading products that can compete with anyone in the market. So if you're a top sales producer and you're looking to challenge yourself in order to take your career to the next level, then visit CenturyLink.com forward slash Accelerate. That's CenturyLink.com forward slash Accelerate. Uh, with its recent acquisition of Level 3, the new CenturyLink has become a world leader in providing cloud, security, real-time communications, and manage services. And so, if, again, if you're a top sales producer, you want to step it up in your career, then check out CenturyLink at CenturyLink.com forward slash accelerate and see if perhaps CenturyLink is the right step for you and your career. All right, let's jump right into it. Andy Molinsky, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. And we were just talking before we came on the air that <laughs> this has been a long time coming <laughs> for a variety of reasons, but I'm glad you're finally here with us. Yes, likewise. So, um, standard question I ask all my guests to start off the show is, 
You know, in your mind, what what is the single biggest challenge facing sales people today, sales professionals today? You know, it's a good it's a, it's a good question, and I can't I can't promise you know, so I can't promise to say that I'm I'm the expert and I have the finger on the pulse of what what challenges salespeople face. I well, I do have to say though, I think that's why we value your answer. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, you have a perspective so, maybe others don't. Right. So, so, so what I do have as as a perspective is that. Um, so I've I've written a book uh, called Reach about stepping outside mm-hmm. your comfort zone. I've done a lot of work, teaching, training, writing about helping people step outside their comfort zone, and I've talked to a lot of people about sales. Um, these might not be people who focus their entire days and lives on sales, but that sales and making a sale is a key component to what they do and what they want to try to achieve, what their goals are. And I do find that a lot of people. Um, and you'd be surprised, or, or maybe you wouldn't be surprised at how outside people's comfort zone it is often to 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 um, to, to do sales. And by 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 that I mean lots of things. I mean cold calling. I mean walking into a networking event, pitching and promoting themselves and their product and their company, making small talk in a in a know, sincere, authentic way with people that they that they don't know, um, closing a deal. Um, all sorts of components of sort of the sales process, I think, are outside many people's comfort zones. Not everyone, but many people. And so that's why I think it's been on my radar is is a is an important topic. Well, interesting. I think if people were really honest, even people who've been in sales for a long time, they would say that they're. I'd say everyone, certainly in my experience, I talked to. There's some aspect of the process that they're still uncomfortable with, <laughs> you know, that they're still is outside their comfort zone, even with decades of experience. I mean, I can speak from experience too. I mean, they're still. I think I had my least favorite part of selling is is making cold calls. Um, you know, I do it, and I've done it for years. And I started my career making dozens of cold calls every day out in the field. But you know, it still requires me to step out my comfort outside my comfort zone to do it. You know, I I understand that. I, I actually, as you were talking, I was it just I just had this flash of a thought. It reminded me. You know, I'm not in sales per se, although I have to say that I do have to do quite a bit of sure. sales in various ways. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a professor and I'm also a writer and I'm also uh, now I do some consulting and training on the side. But you know, my main core job is as a professor at a business school. But I remember a long time ago uh, when I first got out of college. And my first job actually was essentially sales and essentially cold calling. I was working, I was in Paris, France, um, working for a small company, and we were trying to in, in, um, interest uh, larger, uh, it was mostly chemical companies mm-hmm. in, in customer satisfaction surveys, which was all the rage back then. <laughs> and I, I, and so my job was just kind of prospect essentially. And God, I remember in, in having, French. Yes. Well, a combination, depending on who the client was. So if it was in the Netherlands, it would be in English. If it was in France, it would be in in, in French. Now, my French was was good, but there were plenty of native speakers for that. So they brought me in mostly to talk to sort of more English-speaking people, although I did use some French as well. But um, Yeah, I want to hear, uh, hear, hear your pitch in French. Ah, <laughs> it's been a long time. Well, come on, step outside well, your comfort zone here, and <laughs> I'll put you on the I spot. Know. 
Yeah, c'est je m'appelle Andy Molinsky. Je voulais hablar. Non, hablar. God, that's Spanish. Spanish, right? <laughs> I, sp I, I lived in Spain as well. Sorry, it's 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 all. Uh, that's okay. All, you're you're off all, the hook. Good good try. I like that. It's um, all it's all a, it's all a mix. But I'll, I'll tell you something interesting about um about about doing sales in a foreign language. Now, this is I should date myself, and that's part of the reason that my my French is so rush, rusty and mixed with Spanish is that this was over 20 years ago. And, uh, but what's interesting, which I do remember is that when I was doing sales in French and my French at that time was fl pretty fluent, not, right. not, not perfectly fluent, but pr pretty fluent. Um, it was actually easier to do it in French. And, and I think it's because when I was speaking in a foreign language, it's as if I was sort of, um, putting on a bit of a disguise. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't quite me. That's what I was going to say. It was like wearing a mask. Exactly. And it was a little bit easier to do. And, and the, the emotional resonance of having to put someone on the spot and ask them something, you know, in English, which is my native language, you know, I have this sort of like immediate, unconscious, visceral impact, uh, negative impact of sort of putting someone on the spot or, or making the ask or whatever it was. But in French, it was different because it sort of felt like I was kind of slightly detached, tiny bit detached. Mm -hmm. And so it, it actually helped me in some ways. And I also think that my accent helped me too, because it sort of started a conversation, um, you know, it was a way to kind of build a bridge. Oh, where are you from? And so on and so forth. It's sort of a natural connection. Well, yeah. And it's sort of an interesting thing to think about when you talk about reaching outside your comfort zone, because that's you know, the topic of your book. And we're going to dive into it is that, um, maybe one of the first steps to being successful <laughs> about stepping outside your comfort zone is, you know, we talk about authenticity, but is to be be who you want to be. It was almost like assuming a certain disguise. I mean, I know people in sales that that have a sales personality, and you take get them outside sales, which comes across as very authentic, and you get them outside the sales environment, and they're slightly different. True, and I mean, I think anyone, you know, I don't think that's um, I don't think that's exclusive to sales. No, I imagine no. that. Like the way that you speak with your grandmother is different than the way you would speak with buddies at a bar after work, which is different from the way you'd speak on a date with someone who you just met and so on and so forth, right? It's like right. we all we all have modes. We all have shades of ourselves, you know, in different ways that we speak. You know, I'm a parent and the way I speak with – well, the way I speak with my kids now who are 11 and 13 is quite similar to the way I'd speak to you, but certainly not when they were three and five. You <laughs> well, know what I mean? So, yeah. so, so, so it – you know, I think it – I think we all have these variants of ourselves and they can all sort of live within the realm of authenticity. But I think we know when we're sort of putting on airs and really not being authentic. In other words, being a version of ourselves that's actually not in that repertoire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's dive into the book a little bit. So in the book early on, you say, uh, or you write that in an ideal world, no one would have to reach beyond their comfort zone to succeed at work. Uh, I found that sort of fascinating to think about, if that was the case, then what would be our definition of success? <laughs> it's a good question. What I kind of meant there was that, gosh, it wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to do this, right? I mean, and I think that I think the point is that that I'm trying to make is that you know to 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 grow and learn and develop, and especially kind of key points in your career. Um, oftentimes, you do take on tasks and responsibilities that are outside your comfort zone because you have goals that you want to achieve. You have things you want to do. So you want to become a manager. You want to start your own company. You want to reach that level, whatever it might be. Or maybe there's 
is some sort of more personal reason. There are people whose lives you want to impact in a positive way. And to do any of these things, it's possible that you might have to step outside your comfort zone. You might have to take on different tasks and responsibilities. You might have to do sales, as we talked about. You might have to speak in public. You might have to become more of a public speaker. Maybe you have to have more of a presence on the internet, on social media, and become a thought leader. And maybe that's uncomfortable for you or not, whatever it might be. You know, there are a lot of different activities that are associated with these goals that we care about for whatever reason. Those are the moments and times and situations where you do face a choice in a way. And I think, I don't know if people conceptualize it as a choice, but I see it as a choice because what people often do is they avoid and they sort of craft their lives to kind of avoid situations like this. So they don't take on that responsibility. They stay in that role, whatever it is. They don't try to expand their business in this and that way. Um, But if you do want to, that's where the that's where the that's the rub, and that's where stepping outside of your comfort zone, I think, comes in. And by the way, it's not just pre- professionally; it's personally too. I talked about having kids, you know, becoming a parent for the first time, getting married, even or whatever. You know, there there are certain milestones in your personal life as well that involve oftentimes stepping outside your comfort zone. Well, I was trying to use that phrase you'd written to say, okay, well, where can you work where you can stay within your comfort zone and. I was thinking, okay, well, Supreme Court judges, they're appointed for life. <laughs> and, 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 maybe, and maybe Pope, but that's about the only two I came up with. Well, I think some people, you know, in their careers can sort of hit a level where they're kind of, um, kind of, uh, what's the metaphor? That they're sort of like, you know, they're just kind of running on routine in a way. You know, that they're doing their thing, like you've been whatever it is forever, and you know how to do it, and you're not stretching outside necessarily. I mean, I can think a lot of professions. Like, let's say you've taught fifth grade for 40 years. Let's say you've been a, a pediatrician for 40 years. Maybe you've been a professor, whatever whatever it's been. I mean, of course, there are industries that that where that's by definition is not going to happen, like a super, you know, um, uh, uh, fast moving industry with lots and lots of competition where you're kind of scratching and clawing to try to stay ahead and so on and so forth. I mean, those, those in those worlds, you know, of course, you, you have to step outside your comfort zone. It's just part of your life. But there are many other professions and jobs and roles where, where it's not as much a, a deal, I don't think. Well, I, so it's, it gets me to one of my core questions is that, and this is not something that came up specifically from reading your book, but something that I've been thinking about a lot and reading about a lot lately is that, is do we have this, this um, do we place too much importance on excellence, I guess, is, is, is you know, because oftentimes if you gave the example, somebody who's been doing the same job, you know, for 10, 15 years, and let's say they're, let's say they're very competent at it. Let's say they're, they're good at it, right? I mean, right now, Good is really equated with being mediocre in so many cases. Like, yeah, you know, when you read so many books, it's, you know, everything's about excellence and, and not attacking your book, saying stepping out of com- comfort zone. But, you know, we, we have this thing where we have sort of supplicit assumption that, that everybody should step outside their comfort zones. And, and I was, you know, I've been at some events recently where, you know, everybody talks about the top performers. And it's like, yeah, but people that, you know, there are people that are good at what they do and they're not top performers, but they're good. Uh, and they're within a comfort zone because that's what helps them. They defined it and they've been able to expand that or develop it in such a way that they are competent and good at what they do. And it seems like good is bad these days. Good is the new bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, 
I, I know what you're talking about. I'm in my office right now. And if I look on my, um, on my bookshelves, I can see, you know, good to great, you know, mm-hmm. like that's a, that's the first book I see like that, but there, there are plenty of them like that. Um, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think that, I think it, it has to do, it's a complicated question, I think actually. Um, and I, and I, and my, my view on it is that, um, it's very important in life to know yourself. Um, I think sometimes people are striving for the best and the best and the best and the best because they don't really know themselves. And they sort of are attaching their ambitions to these sort of exponentially challenging goals. And furthermore, people well, part, who are – Partly because – excuse me, but partly because we're telling them that whatever they're doing isn't good enough. Well, and they're listening, though, right? That well, it res- well, sure. It takes two, you know, it takes two to it, tango, but it's – Yeah, it resonates. And, and, and I think that – yeah, I think that it's it's important uh, to be able to have a sort of a comprehensive view of what you care about, what you value. You know, for for some people, it might be that 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 being good at what you do is is just fine. Being proud of what you do, working for a middle sized company but not the biggest, being a good performer but not the best, whatever it might be, whatever your standard is, but that you're happy. You know that you and you have a you have happy relationships in your life. You in, you enjoy the time that you get to spend that's outside of work or whatever it is. Having more of a full balanced life, you know. And I I think that I think a lot of people feel that way. Now, of course, economics gets into this as well. Some people simply need to work and work and work and scratch to survive. So you know, be have it sort of like the 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 luxury of sort of you know indulging and enjoying in their life is not is much on the table for them. But I, I think I see what you mean. And I see that, by the way, also, you know, not just in professions, but also like, let's say in high school, trying to get into colleges that, you know, there's a lot been being mm-hmm. written lately about how if kids aren't able to get into one of those top 10 colleges in the country, in the U.S., let's say, that they're a failure. And, yeah. they, and they and they feel like that yes. in these hi- highly competitive high schools. And what a what a what a shame that is, you know. Like that's that's a broken that's a broken system and a broken set of aspirations. Well, and I, in any enterprise, I think of any size, you, you can you're going to have a distribution of of people, right? You're going to have a very small percentage of people you call superstars. Let's say you're going to have a very small percentage of people who are just abject failures, and then. You know, most people are in that middle group, yeah. And and most of those people are good at what they do. They may not be superstars, but they're good at what they do. And yet, we seem to obsess. I was <laughs> at a conference a couple weeks ago where with a bunch of uh, sales leaders and you know CEOs and so on, and they were you know all obsessing on this idea about how do we how do we get everybody to act like the top performers? And it's like, well, you don't want everybody to act. First of all, they can't all act like the top performers. And you need people who are good at what they do. Yeah. And and I said the obsession with excellence, I think, actually is starting to become counterproductive. Well, I think it's – I agree with you. And it's not just an obsession about excellence. The other obsession I see oftentimes is um, is is with being a leader. And like mm-hmm. imagine, imagine if everyone was a leader, so to speak. And maybe someone would come along and say, oh, no, it's important for everyone to be a leader – you know, in so and so way. But if everyone's a self starter, if everyone's a go getter, if everyone's a leader, if everyone's an alpha, you know, what kind of world are we, <laughs> are we living in? I think there's some value in being a team player. There's value in being a follower. There's value in, you know, being a leader at points, but stepping back at, at other points. There's a value, you know what I mean? So, so I think that um, I do feel, I see the excess that you're talking about. Yeah, I th- well, I think we're again starting to institutionalize this whole fear of missing out 
and the FOMO. And, you know, it drives a level of anxiety that really, from my mind, starts becoming counterproductive for people. You know, especially in things like sales where it's, you know, it is a, just by definition, it's a pressure-filled role. But I know lots and lots of people in sales who are quite good at what they do, able to do it with the minimum of anxiety and pressure. Uh, but, you know, they're made to feel less than be, because they're not ambitious. Yeah, well, th- I mean, the other part of it is that, um, is that you know, where do we where do we derive our sense of self self-worth? Is it, is it from our perceptions of where we stand uh, in the face of other people on some sort of spectrum or is it from inside, you know, our own experience of ourselves that, that we feel that we're, that we're good, that mm-hmm. we're good enough, that we're happy. That's an internal story on an internal experience. And I think when people are so fixated with, with the best and the top performers and so on and so on, those are very external standards. And if people are sort of um, viewing themselves and their self-worth through those standards, I think that's a, I think that's a mistake, really. I think it's a mistake on multiple levels. It's certainly a mistake in terms of happiness and well-being. Right. But I imagine it's a mistake in other ways, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I certainly believe it is. So, in your book, you talk about um, this idea of necessary evils. We were talking about navigating personal comfort zones and so on. And I want to explore that a little bit. If you could tell people what you're talking about there. Sure. So, necess- so it's interesting. So the, my book reaches about stepping outside your comfort zone. Uh, and it's sort of a user-friendly uh, you know, book for, for anyone. Necessary evils, actually, uh, was a topic that I worked on with a colleague of mine from Harvard Business School. We went to um, graduate school together. And we did uh, research on the topic of necessary evils, which are basically tasks where at work you have to cause someone pain or discomfort for some greater good or purpose. So we were studying managers performing uh, layoffs. Uh, firing people. We were studying police officers evicting families and individuals from their homes, uh, doctors performing painful procedures on kids. These are pediatric physicians and also mm-hmm. delivering delivering bad news to parents. It was, it was funny because when I started writing Reach or started thinking about Reach, I just, I almost had like a blind spot to the fact that I had been researching this very topic, which I just described for years, you know, publishing in academic uh, journals and so on. But I, for some reason, didn't put two and two together. And then eventually I had the epiphany, like, duh, I've been like studying this myself. And so I then incorporated uh, some of that work into the book. So I guess my question when I was reading that, though, is, is you weren't saying, I don't think, but I just wanted to ask the question is, that people can ever develop a comfort zone around performing these necessary evils. Well, I think. Um, I mean, do, I mean, you know, I'm yeah. just speaking to me personally. I've you know had to lay off and fire lots of people. I don't think I'd ever have. I'd say I develop a comfort zone around it. Well, I guess it's tricky. It depends on how you conceptualize a comfort zone. So if a comfort zone, I guess, is a continuum instead of a dichotomy, like dichotomy would mean that you're comfortable or you're not comfortable versus sort of a continuum, which is varying degrees of comfort. I imagine over time you can start to become it doesn't mean that you're complacent and it doesn't mean you're not caring. You can be compassionate and have a comfort zone around your capacity to do it. You know, I, I have, I spoke with plenty of managers, for instance, who said, you know what, this is obviously awful and it's no good for anyone, but I, I'd, I'd rather be the person delivering the bad news here. Cause I, I know how to do it. I know how to do it in a way that dignifies someone. Oh, well, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I agree that you can ever sort of do it that dignifies someone. Cause, but I mean, it's, it's, I guess I was sort of thinking is, shouldn't we always be uncomfortable with these types of tasks, these types of... I, 
I think on some level, right? I think it's a complicated situation. I mean, I think that's it's, where it, that's where the humanity comes through. Well, it, it could. It depends what you mean by comfort. Yeah, if you want to be like, if uncomfortable equals having empathy, yes, I would agree with that. But you can still feel sort of. I don't know. I think it's, it, it ends up being a semantic issue around what you mean by comfort. I, my view on those types of things is that, um, of course, it's going to, if you're human and you're allowing your human self to enter the equation, which I think is important, you should feel uncomfortable, right? Because you should really feel what the consequences are. You should, right. you should, you should understand the importance of what you're doing and the sacrifice that's happening and understand and really appreciate and make certain of the greater good in the situation. But I don't, you know, and, and, and I think, um, but I think that you can you can be confident about or increasingly confident about your capacity to do it. You can have a developing sense of conviction about why it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a doctor, for instance, a young doctor uh, who might be performing a painful procedure on a child in early in their career, they might not fully appreciate the legitimacy and necessity of what they're doing. But if they've been at this for many years, they know the results of these over time and they've seen the results and they've seen kids who have recovered from these and how the early pain is worth the later gain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's not that they become complacent and they don't have any sense of empathy, but they might, it might, the, the task itself might start to become a little bit more in their comfort zone. Sure. Not saying that, they, that they're not conscious of the, of the difficulty, but that it's slightly more in their comfort zone. That's what I'm, that's what I mean by it. Okay. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. So, uh, in the time we have left, we have about 10 or so minutes left. I want to talk about the, uh, the five challenges to stepping outside the comfort zone that you you talk about because I, I thought there's some interesting material in there, and then urge people to to buy your book and go through the rest of it because uh, very worthwhile read. So um, the first one is the authenticity challenge. You know, we're talking about trying to step outside our comfort zone. One of the reasons we don't do it is because we sort of say, "Hey, if to take the step, this isn't me." As you said, this isn't me at all. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, so 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 I, I I interviewed people from all different professions. I mean, you know, entrepreneurs, of course, uh, small business owners, executives, managers, but all sorts of people: doctors, uh, police officers, actors, students, priests, rabbis, a goat farmer, all sorts of people. Uh, and so across the board, this is what I found. Not by the way, not you don't experience every one of these challenges every time, but this is the set. Sure, There's often sure. yeah authenticity. Like this isn't me. I feel like an imposter. I feel like a poser. And remember, you're stepping outside your comfort. So this is by definition something that's that you're not as used to. Um, a second one was likability. That's that's that was an interesting one, and I, I find that I find that a, a pervasive challenge for people, um, psychologically speaking, that they that they they worry people won't like this version of me. If I do this task, they will hate me. If I ask more, uh, just if I act more assertively than I normally am, they're going to think I'm a total, you know. Jerk for uh you know I don't know if there's a PG audience. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> sort of is, but we we, in, we know in, what you mean. Insert your other word, right? Um, you know, uh, well, tell, uh, tell confidence. The, well, tell the story. Oh, sorry, in, yeah. So in that one, the likability challenge, because I think it's yeah. actually I think this is kind of relevant today in a much bigger sphere. Is you give the story of a woman named Annie working for this very difficult person named Rick, um, yeah. who she was sort of afraid to really sort of stand up to him for fear that other people wouldn't like her as a result at, yes. one, at one level. And maybe you can tell more about the story. No, it's, it's, you're right. It is very sort of topical uh, today in 2017. Um, well, yeah, with everything that's going on in terms of the, you know, the stories that are now surfacing about the women that have been subjected to this harassment and abuse for 
all these years. And <laughs> quite frankly, on the political scene, I think it's what keeps people from commenting about sort of the things that are happening in Washington. She uh, so so Annie Harris uh, was a um, still is uh, works for a um, high, uh, uh, an investment firm that that tries to encourage high net worth individuals to invest their money at the firm and to to go on these meetings. She was a, she was a fairly young employee at the time. She she had to have a portfolio manager accompany her, and that 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 was Rick Schmitz, this guy who was essentially uh, harassing her in in a way and certainly demeaning her, embarrassing yeah, her, nightmare. shaming her, right? You know, living nightmare, uh, and and she wanted to, and I, we could get into the details I talked about in the book, but she wanted to tell this guy off. I mean, she, she felt at some point she had to, but the problem for Annie is that Annie was and is, although she's changed. I know Annie, she's uh, she, she was a very modest person. She's timid. She um, was not assertive. It was way outside her comfort zone to confront this guy. And for the longest time, she was just terrified of it. And one of the re and by the way, she did in the end, but one of the reasons was this likability, which, uh, which I, I actually remember asking her multiple times, is this really true? And she said, yes, she was afraid that he would hate her if she acted this way. Now, of course, he's obviously the hateable one in this scenario, mm -hmm. but that that's what she was feeling. She was feeling, of course, she was feeling a sense of inauthenticity because she was afraid that this this just is not me. Oh my God, I'm going to do this. She she was worrying about likability, that, that, that Rick would hate her. She was also struggling with a third challenge people face, which is competence, which is the idea that that she's she's not going to be good at this. She's going to look like a fool. She's going to look like an idiot. That's her fear. Uh, and, and by the way, that's going to be obvious to other people. So she'll not only feel incompetent. And you can imagine this in sales. You can imagine this in public speaking. Oh, lots yeah. of situations where you're afraid to do something because you think you'll look like a fool. And by the way, you're afraid other people will see you as a fool. So there's the public-private side to it. So it's a tough cocktail of sort of psychological roadblocks and challenges people can face that when considering stepping outside their comfort zone. I guess sometimes I think of it as there's door A, which is, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. Door B, uh, I think I'm going to avoid. And there are all sorts of ways people avoid, I talk about in the book. But the question is, is what's going to nudge you to door A or door B? And these challenges like feeling inauthentic, feeling worrying about likability, struggling with your perceptions of competence and feelings of incompetence, those push you to door whichever the door was where you don't do it. I forget, <laughs> I forget which one that was. We'll, we'll, that call, one. we'll, call, we'll call it door B. <laughs> right, um, that one. <laughs> a comes first. That should be the good one. Well, I mean, I have you know, my own story in that regard. When I started public speaking, you know, roughly about ten years ago, a little little less than that. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> when I'd come home from a speaking gig and my wife would ask me well how'd it go you know i used to use as my benchmark of successes that you know no one stood up and called me an idiot <laughs> there you go <laughs> right and that was sort of the the imposter syndrome right is that you know no one called right. me an idiot so it must have been a good outing it's a terrifying thing. I have to say, I mean, I know, I know audience, people in the audience will probably nod their heads. I mean, you know, I, I've been at this now for 20 years. Um, I, I, now I feel very comfortable speaking on stage and so on. But as a professor, I get a lot of practice, right? Um, in front of MBA students and executives and so on. But I, I mean, early on in my career, I was just terrified of doing it for multiple reasons. You know, being up there on stage, feeling vulnerable, not being very good at it or practiced at it or how to manage a crowd or manage my time or do any of these things. And then on top of it, I felt like, what do I possibly have to say that could be worth these people's time? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, and you're like... Yeah, it's it's a tough one. It's a real tough nut to crack, for sure. It's outside many people's comfort zones. 
Well, and I think the thing with comfort zones, uh, it's not summarizing the entire book and not trying to, but I mean, one one thought that, you know, as I think about this, this, this topic, because, yeah, there's been a fair amount of writing in the last few years, is that, um, yeah, there's a certain maturity required to be able to step outside your comfort zone. And, and part of that, is, to me, is at least a recognition that, you know, a part of success is failure. And that, yeah, you sort of have to, to acknowledge that, that uh, the step to getting where you want or st- the path to getting where you want to go is going to be littered with, you know, back steps at some point. There's no question. Uh, I think that's really important to sort of develop that sense of resilience, have an attitude where it's more of a learning attitude than a performing attitude or at least a combination so that when you do, you know, slip up, eventually everyone does, uh, maybe not even uh, eventually, maybe often, <laughs> that, that you see that that quote unquote failure as data. In other words, okay, good. This is data for improving. I mean, in my life, I've, I've, I've struggled with that. I, 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 I've seen data early, sort of the feedback early on is sort of like devastating, but mm-hmm. I've, I've grown to learn to see it as data. Uh, and, and, and I think that's a, it's a positive way of approaching things, but that took time that took maturity. And, you know, I, I think, it, but, but if that, that's, that is a real thing that a lot of people can work on that mindset. Yeah. Uh, again, to you, I like your way of expressing it is that, you know, feedback failure is data. You know, let's use the data. What do we use data for? Do we use data to make better decisions? Yeah, and, improvement. And improvement. So, absolutely. Well, good. Well, Andy, unfortunately, we've run out of time, but uh, I'd like to thank you for joining us and tell people how they can find out more about your book and connect with you. Yeah, I'd love to connect with folks. I, uh, I have a website, uh, which is www.andymolinsky.com. My name is spelled A N D Y M O L I N. SKY.com. And, you know, I've got um, lots of articles. I, so I write for Harvard Business Review and Inc.com and Psychology Today. And um, I've got lots of articles and videos and all sorts of quizzes and, and assessment tools on there and links to my social and my books and everything. And so even my email. So please come visit. All right. Excellent. Well, good. Andy, thank you again for joining us. And friends, thank you for spending this time with us today. Make sure you come back, join us again the next time for another great episode of Accelerate. Until then, if you get a chance, go to iTunes. Please subscribe, leave a review. We want to know what we can do to make this an even better experience for you. So thanks again for joining us. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.